Welcome to the Gate 7 International Podcast, your official English source for all things Olympiakos FC and Greek football. You're listening to episode 34 and midweek series number 16, I think. I am Peter Thompson. I'm here with my co-hosts Lavros Sirmos and Adi Bulubasis. No special guests today, just the three of us for the first time in a while. We've got some European games to discuss, the final European group stage games. Overall, relatively disappointing, but we'll get into the results for Olympiakos, Ike, and Pauk. Lambro, in some rather exciting news, is moving to Greece soon. We're recording, and it's his last night in Geneva, Switzerland today, so he will be in the motherland ready to get us some intel. Isn't that right, Lambro? Yes, everyone. I If you have questions about what it's like going to Greece, I'll be happy to answer them uh, during this time. And it has been madness. I had to get a coronavirus test. I had to fill out all these forms and blah, blah, blah. And the airline had questions. So it's been a trip, but I'm happy to be heading heading to the second home in Greece and enjoying holidays with some family and being safe from coronavirus. And that's what's important. So I hope to have some nice information for everyone. I'll be reading the newspapers in paper. So that'll be fun. Anyway, shoot some questions over if you have any questions about this whole experience. And if you want me to do anything, blah, 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 I'm open. So I can't wait. Instead of Lambro reading tweets, he's just going to like take out the newspaper mid podcast and be like, here's what so and so said about Madi Kamara. It's, it's going to be it's amazing. Perfect for quotes, Peter. It's you so guys don't get the quotes. visual either. Like, I'll get to see Lambro reading the paper. So that'll be exciting. I'm very much looking forward to that. Anyway, before we do get into our coverage for the three games today, we have some news. As always, on Monday, December 14th, we will release our episode featuring Steve Kuduru. We will go more into Olympiakos's match against Porto, looking more broadly. Uh, today, we're going to go into the nitty-gritty, the analytics, as we always do. And over the weekend, we're going to look more broadly at the campaign, how things went. And we will also discuss the game against Lamia, which takes place this weekend. But today we'll go into the analytics and stuff like that for the game against Porto. We have our pre-match podcast for the derby between Olympiakos and Ike coming on Wednesday, December 16th. So that one will be before the game. We'll try to get it out as early as possible. You can listen to that as you get ready for the game to happen. We will be joined by Hellas football contributor Greg Gavalas. And we will also look at Ike's European campaign and maybe Pauk's a little bit as well, since it is, after all, the midweek series. We'll see what Greg thinks about that as a contributor to LS Football. On Monday, December 21st, we will have our episode featuring Michael Vicini, or as we've called it, Rant Day, where Lambro and Michael will be allowed to just go off the cuff and, and just have a rant uh, for the entire episode. We will be posting on social media to ask the audience for topics they would like the host to rant about. So folks, feel free to comment your, your gripes, things you want Lambro to complain about in his, in his unique prose in the way that only he can. And then Michael will do the same. It'll be a fun one. Unfortunately, no music, but that's okay. At least for Lambro, it's okay. On Thursday, December 24th, that's Christmas Eve, we will be joined by LS football correspondent Apostolos Karadonis. He is an expert on the Greek youth players and will give us some great insight on some names to look for in terms of under 21, under 19, both in the Super League 
and abroad. On Monday, December 28th, we will be having our special uh, explicit episode featuring our good friend and contributor, George Haralambopoulos, who you can follow at Life of George C on Twitter. That's a special holiday episode. So we're going to allow guests to come on and join the podcast. We will provide the Zoom link at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, American Eastern Time on December 27th, the day before. And you will all be welcome to come in, join. You'll have to probably sit in a waiting room and then we'll admit you in and you can ask your question. Feel free to follow us on Twitter at gate7intl or for that matter, Instagram, Facebook, and Reddit. It's all the same handle uh, to keep your eyes open for that. Additionally, we haven't forgot, Adi and I will be doing that analytics featured podcast soon. The plan was to do it on Wednesday after the Olympiacos Porto game, but quite frankly, folks, I just wasn't in the mood. <laughs> Would not have been a very good product to say the least. Neither was I. Throat. Yeah. So we, we decided we'll push it off, <laughs> but no European games to ruin my mood next week. So we should be okay to do it sometime next week. That's what we're hoping. We will get this one done, folks. The good news is this gives you more time to DM us any questions that you have about analytics, about the random things that we bring up. If you have absolutely anything, we will address it on the episode. So feel free to DM us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, wherever you can find us, Gate7INTL, and we will do our best to address those concerns. As always, we do also want to say thank you to our sponsor, Piraeus International Incorporated. Piraeus International has been importing and exporting cargo for companies and individuals for over 40 years. They can assist you in importing olive oil, marble, or any other goodies from Greece. They can also assist in exporting, whether you have one box or a full household of items that need to be sent over. Check them out at PiraeusINTL.com and give them a call at 410-675-4696. So maybe if you want to give Lambro a Christmas gift, but you're stuck all the way over in the Americas, you can maybe hook up with Piraeus International and get your gift for Lambro sent across the seas. And uh, eventually it will be safely in his hands in Athens. We'll see what happens there. Some quick news before we do talk about the European games for this week. There were some antics on the bench for some of the Olympiacos assistants. Uh, one of them happened to be Vasidis Torosidis, and then also one of the other assistants, Bartolas. Uh, they were suspended from stadium or locker room appearances for 15 days, along with a 10,000 euro fine. That's 5,000 euros each person. And then additional 10,000 for the club for antics during the Volos game. The Ethniki, Lamro, don't worry, we're not going to talk about them that much, but their group for the World Cup has been announced. I'm reciting this from the top of my head, but I believe we are looking at Spain, Sweden, Greece, Georgia, and... Kosovo. Kosovo, that's right. I knew it was a team that we played in the Nations League. Some of the players, some of the senior leaders, or at least who JVS thinks is a senior leader, Stafididis and Bakasetas have made their comments about the draw. But, I mean, it's going to be a tough one, folks. You know, Project Qatar, it's been the big deal for the whole year, but we'll see what we can do against Spain and Sweden. It's going to be difficult. I know we're not going to spend too much time on this because we don't want to think about the ethniki until March, but uh, I saw some of the, what I will call, ignorant optimism on social media 
it's always good to have hope, but I, I'll be honest with you, I don't. If we finish third place, that's probably about par for the course with this club. I see a lot of people just assuming we're going to beat Georgia and Kosovo in both legs when we barely beat Kosovo once and then drew them a second time. I don't think we can take that for granted. Sweden is just a better team than we are. And given how we played against, you know, the only team that was really on the caliber we expect the team to be, Austria, they they dominated us, beat us two to one. So I'm not going to hold my breath. Uh, we're starting off against Spain and Sweden, of course. Um, I don't think anyone's expecting any result against Spain. Sweden, some people think we can pull a result. I don't know. If Van Schip loses those two games and then we have a poor appearance in the first game against the the bottom feeders, I think it's going to be pretty poor. And then seeing Stafilidis and Bacasetas make comments about this, it just makes me think Van Schip has learned nothing. Stafilidis hasn't played a game for his club since January 18th of this year. And yet this man has captained the Greek national team and is still looking to be a part of it. He has played two games for his club in January, but the one on the 18th, one on the 9th. And then the only other game he's played this whole year was for the Ethniki where he got hurt. If he is at any point a part of this national team, there's a problem. And it also shows the hypocrisy of John Van Schip. I don't have high hopes for this campaign. I'm not expecting us to qualify for the World Cup. It is what it is. But Adi, but Adi, playing Spain in the first game of the qualifiers, what does this remind you of? Yanakopoulos scores the goal. It's going to be Masuras this time scoring the goal, and we beat <laughs> Spain and qualify, and then we win the World Cup. Project Qatar is a success. <laughs> Honestly, just craziness. And I saw some people like tweeting out, oh, it's on, is it on uh, Greek Independence Day, I think, the game against Spain? I yes. don't know. I saw something like that, and people were like, the warrior spirit. I was just like, oh, God, end me with the cliches. But seriously, this team is mediocre. Bacasetas and stuff with these together. Going to be playing every game. This team sucks. I don't want to think about them until March. We'll get into it amongst then. But I honestly wouldn't be surprised with fourth place because I think Van Chip's going to lose the first two games. Then his seat is going to get hot, and everyone's going to have pressure under them. And then, like typical Greece fashion, they kind of collapse under pressure, so they lose the third game. He gets fired interim manager for the fourth game, and then they lose that one as well, and then the campaign's over, and then blah, 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 blah. Anyway, that's my prediction. We'll (laughs) We'll see what happens. It's not like this is the team pre-2015, right? If this were the the team pre-2015, and it had the pedigree it did, and it had the resume that it had, we could say, oh, you know what? This is comfortable, and we should definitely be fighting for second. But the team's identity for the last five years is failure. And this Nations League, I'm sorry. I don't care how well Van Schip played, how open the team played. I agree. I think it's looked better than the teams looked in the past. They played more open. But when you don't win that Nations League group, that is a failure. doesn't matter how pretty you play. If the result is the same and you haven't won anything, it is still failure. And I still don't like this loser mentality. They think they've achieved something and they've achieved nothing. So I'm not going to have high hopes. It's, you know, some people will have hope, but, you know, I've already been disappointed by this team enough. I'm going to see what I see. If they do well, great, but I have no expectations. Lambro, you say we're not going to talk about the Ethniki till March, but we all know that when we get the Michael Vicini takes going and you hear the phrase, 
Jon van Schip with that Australian accent, you know you're not going to be able to contain yourself from just letting yeah. off a rant, man, bro. <laughs> yeah, we all I, know it to yeah. be true. Yeah, I, But certainly enough of that for today. Yeah. Let's move on to games that happened this week with European football, club football. Admittedly, it's not much better at this point. The situation is looking pretty bleak all across the board. Although good on Pauk for getting a draw. You know what? Good for Pauk helping out the coefficient with a draw. We love to see that. But we're going to start with Olympiacos as we do. It's a poor one. It was so bad that I couldn't even work up the hope and the happiness to do the analytics episode with Adi after the game. It's a 2-0 defeat. From the beginning, I was in a bad mood. There was some refereeing stuff going on, which is just like, we never want any of that. Even if we win, it's just annoying. There was a Broussaille penalty appeal that didn't even get looked at. But at the end of the day, the team was poor. The result was deserved. And for me, it's just the epitome of what we've seen all season. And we really just limp to Europa League qualification after only winning one game, 1-0, in the death of the game at the beginning of the season and then losing everything else in the group stage. We're lucky to be still playing in Europe at this point. Yeah, I agree 100%. And, you know, sometimes during games we message each other and we're really mad and we're really angry. Especially me, I drop some some upset language. But, you know, this game, like, as we were watching it, you take a step back. Peter, I think you said a message, like, when we were speaking, you said, like, I don't even want to rant. I'm not upset. We've highlighted what is wrong with this team for three months, and we knew this would come. And that's true. Like, there's nothing left for us to say. Like, if people are looking for us to rehash the issues, we, we've done this for three months over, listen to our podcast, we've highlighted the weaknesses, and they were just shown, again, by a, a strong Porto team who's got a lot of talent, you know. I, I sent out a tweet um, the night of, and I said something along the lines of, under Pedro Martins, I felt like we always had a chance versus teams. It yep. doesn't feel like that anymore, you know? You watch you watch Olympiacos against Porto, and you watch them against Man City, which, of course, Man City is a class team. But there's no hope. Even walking away against a game with Bayern Munich, you, you say, oh, we had a chance to win that. We One thing could have gone right. This game, we, we didn't deserve anything. We Nothing went wrong. Nothing went right. Like... We know we're not at the quality level that we were last year and what we've been building up with Martins. And I think that's the most disappointing thing. It's like this team just isn't good enough. And that's the bottom line. The analytics, the analysis, looking over players can say everything, but that's the bottom line. And that's kind of a hard pill to swallow after last season. And that's really the big difference. We we talked about it, not just literally since we started the podcast, when we started selling, when we sold Simicas, when Guillerme, the talks about Guillerme leaving were, were there, not renewing Omar, we talked about what the potential would be if the proper replacements didn't appear, if we didn't fully replace the roles that were vacated. And we've seen it. The only time that this team looked functional in Champions League was the first game against Marseille. Bukalakis was in the top form he's been in the season. Mvila was doing Mvila things, still staying deep, but Bukalakis was really taking on that role that Guillerme took in that he was moving around the midfield a lot, and then him and Mvila were just covering so much ground. Look how crappy we look when those two are not in top form and they're not covering that ground. It is poor. The movement is poor in the middle of the park. 
when teams are pressing us high, when teams are moving around, we don't have a lot of movement. There's not a lot of people opening up to receive passes and to get the ball moving forward. Then you have guys like Mvila that receive the ball deep and then would rather pass the ball back to the keeper than try and work things up, up the field. We get opportunities for counters, positional attacks where we start moving forward, and then it's, oh, stop, drop, reset again. This is so irritating. It is absolutely infuriating. And I'm beginning to understand why St. Etienne fans absolutely hated Jan Mvila. I am understanding why. It is not because he's a bad player. He's got so much skill on the ball. But it's the negative way he plays in possession. Now, before we go in on certain players and before we start ranting about different things, it's important that we begin, as we always do, with kind of the top-down look at the game, how we were set up, what kind, what was happening, what was the really the broad, the broad metadata here. So uh, on paper, when we saw the lineup come out, it was a 4-3-3. Anytime you see Bukalakis, Mari, and Vila together, it, on paper, it's a 4-3-3. Functionally, it did not play that way. Mari was really far up the pitch. You saw that. We weren't playing a 4-2-3-1. It was a 4-4-1-1 because the wingers were sitting deeper. So Mari was still playing in a 10-ish role, but we were staying deeper, giving respect to the Porto attack. Now, something that was interesting to me before we get into positional attacks, counters, and total possession, our total X-goal differential for Libiacos was 0.57. Again, pretty poor, barely expecting a goal out of this. Porto's was 1.03. But if we remove the PK from the mix, it was 0.26. They really didn't offer anything in open play. We can't necessarily say that Porto played better than us. We just didn't do enough to really fight for the win. Two quick hits that I have. It's this time of the podcast where I'm going to insult the British announcers because, Adi, you just said all those stats that Porto really weren't threatening in terms of getting a goal besides the penalty. And I really noticed that, especially in the first half. But the Greek announcer was just like having a little laugh over there, just like the the goalkeeper Diogo Costa for Porto. He's had a really easy day. Meanwhile, Jose Saw, you can't say the same for him. He's been tested a lot. Meanwhile, like Jose Saw, like I can't remember a shot on target that wasn't the penalty uh, in the first half for Porto. Maybe a couple that I'm forgetting about, but. That was annoying. And also, I want to say, I really don't like Mari Kamara as a 10. No. Um, like, he's an excellent player. He's so talented. And we've seen him in, in bunches be capable of just creating wonderful things, whether it's a beautiful pass or a nice goal from outside of the box. But, like, I can't stand this 4-3-3 because, as you said, Adi, it effectively turns into a 4-4-1-1 or a 4-2-3-1 something like that, where he is so high up, sometimes almost as a second striker. That's just not where he needs to be. He's he, he's very versatile, don't get me wrong, but he is a number eight for me. Mm -hmm. At his core, that's where he should be. He's not a winger. He's not a second striker. He's a very good player, and that's why you know he ends up in these positions. But for me, he's a number eight. One of the most shocking things was Mari Kamara. He's probably our highest rated, most expensive player on the team, right? Coach Martin's said in his post-game press conference that his decision to take Mari Kamara off the pitch was his decision wasn't injury-based whatsoever. I know some people thought Mari may have had a limp or something. He said, nope, it was tactical completely. And that's just shocking, you know. Should have been Jan Vila. It should have been. Bro. 
yeah, I wanted no. him off my pitch. Like the whole game, I was like, even like after the Fortuny sub, I was like, Envila off, Pepe on, please just do it. Just do it. Just get him off. He's not helping us. We need a goal. He's not doing anything. It was so frustrating. Yeah, but the, the thing with the on Envila is like, oh my God, it's it, he's a good player, but it's just so frustrating how deep he plays. And it, it's a chore to get him to go up the field because Fortunis looks up and there's no one. There's no one from the midfield. He has no midfield support. And then he looks out to the wing you have Masuras, who is technically not gifted, and then you have Jolebas, who is also not technically. Fortunis whips the ball out to the fullback or the winger, and there's no space, and there's nothing in the center to support because they're so deep. And how can you take Marikamarov? It's like you need that player who can provide a spark, provide a goal, provide an assist, and it was bad. Yep, I would have taken Envila off. I mean, and again, looking at the positional map, again, where they were, approximate uh, approximate formation, where most of the passes came from, Envila is literally almost in line with the defense. He is right next to Ruben Semedo and then just ahead of Cisse with Bukalakis kind of alone in the middle with so much space around him and then Mari Kamara pushed further up the pitch. It's almost... Like the similar issue we saw when we were discussing with Pac and El Caduri, how before Pablo Garcia took over as the coach, El Caduri was kind of just left out to dry, doing everything defensively himself, sitting in the in the middle of the park, getting exposed. This is what's happening to the midfield. Jan Vila is sitting so deep, and then Madi gets forward, and then all you have is Bukalakis by himself. Nobody else covering and making any of those runs. This type of positioning from the players leads to then the possession issues that we saw in this game. When the game start and it started in the opening minutes, we were dominating possession, right? The, the first five, 10 minutes, we looked pretty good. But then the rest of the, the first half, we started to slack because Jan and Vila, of course, is just sitting deep again. And we start to struggle making passes. And really the, the player that looked the best in the first half was Bukalakis. No offense to Bukalakis, but when he's your best player in the first half, I think Costa even said this on Twitter, you have a problem. That is a huge problem. And it was very evident. Then look what happened in the second half, kind of that in, from the 45th to the 75th minute, we were on the ball a lot, much more movement. I think it also helped that Fortunis was there and we started the half off with him. Uh, much better in possession, but again, it is super difficult to work around and, and win a midfield battle when you have one midfielder that is just sitting in the back. And then the worst part is, the most egregious part is I blame a lot of that second goal on Jan and Vila because what happened when the ball got forward, right? Everybody got back. Bukalakis got back. The defense get backs. Jan and Vila was walking and jogging down the what was our left side of the field. Now, when Rafinha went to close down the dribbler, he goes in for the slide. Jan and Vila is jogging back. Now, if you guys remember, the ball, it was kind of like a deflection ball that went out to the top of the 18 before, uh, I believe it was uh, Otavio that took the shot and then ends up scoring. Jan and Vila is running directly at where Rafinha is challenging the ball. What you are supposed to do and what you are taught to do when you are tracking back as a midfielder and winger is look where the opposing players are. Take the pass away so that your defender can close that out. What does Jan and Vila do? There's two open players sitting at the top of the 18. 
doesn't go to them, jogs at a nice pace. I'm not going to say he wasn't tired, obviously, because he was running, but he just jogs straight at Rafinha. And then what happens? Everybody is sucked in deep. The two players are wide open, and they have an open shot at the top of the 18. Boggles my mind. Absolutely ridiculous. We can't win when we make when we have players making terrible decisions like this. If Guillerme was on that field and Guillerme was in Mvila's position, I guarantee you he gets back there and covers that, and that goal never happens. You know, and I'm like a pretty big defender of Jan Envia, but it's just recently it's been poor. And I don't know if it's because he is older and he's played every single game this season, bar like one or two. But also a reporter for Ike said something along the lines that Andre Simoes is the best defensive midfielder in the league. And Rudy Bialco's fans were really upset and came to like the defense of Jan Envia. I rate Jan Envia, but I think a discussion there needs to be had. I would say Simoes is right there with Jan Envia. You can see why he never took the final step in his career. Does that make sense? Like you can see where this guy was a wonder kid and he was a French international but you can see why he never got the move to Arsenal. You can see why he never got the move to a top Champions League team. You can see why he's never played Champions League football until this campaign with us, right? And that, that's frustrating for all of us to watch. Again, we're not saying that he doesn't have talent. On the ball, he has talent. He has great technical ability. It's his decision-making. It's what he does with the gift he's given. And then not just that, it's the off-the-ball movement, which at times can be stellar. Again, that Marseille game when we when we beat them one nothing, him and Bukalakis looked like an all star mid DM pairing. It was wonderful with uh, Mari Camara with them. It was incredible. But then you get this when you have that negative mentality on the ball, it affects our possession going forward. Take our positional attacks uh, just as an example. We've been talking about how ineffective or ineffective we've been in terms of our, our positional attacks. And I'm not blaming this. I didn't want to set this up like I'm blaming it on Jan Mbile. He's just a part of the problem. But once again, all of our attacks from the left, seven attacks, positional attacks from the left, eight from the middle, 15 combined attacks with the two, zero expected goal differential. All of our threats in open play that weren't counters, I should specify that, all came from the right. 10 attacks from the right, generating total expected goal differential of 0.42. A lot of that was some of the overlaps with Rafinha and Vursai. Not much of that resulted from anything that came from Jan and Vila. In fact, a lot of it came from Bukalakis. Now, Porto only had 17 total positional attacks, three from the left, 0.02 expected goal differential, three from the middle, 0.0 expected goal differential, and 11 from the right, 0.03 expected goal differential. They tried to target Holebas. They got nothing through in open play. We were better than them in open play. But again, it wasn't enough. We couldn't break through as much for it through the defense. We ended up with seven total shots as a result of all of our attacks, but only one on target. Only one actually made its way for the goalkeeper to save. This was the worst shot efficiency that we've had, the worst we've been converting shots outside of the Manchester City games. Porto somehow managed to get seven shots and put three on target and score two goals out of it. Well, one is, in, is the PK, but still, if you discount the PK, two other shots on target and one was there, which went in for the goal. This is what's been separating other teams from us. They managed to make a couple of opportunities and capitalize on them, and we can't. 
Yeah, and you know, the, the problem is, and, and I've heard this from Coach Martin's mouth from his post-game press conferences, he says it's the individual lapses, which yes. are problems that we have. But it's also, he needs to look in the mirror and realize the system's not working either. And the four-three-three was a mistake to start with. I guess after the Jan and Via conversation, I think it's time to have a discussion about Rafinha. I, we know what we're getting on the left side. I don't even want to talk about Hulevas because we've, what's the saying? You beat the dead horse or whatever. I don't know. You like have gone over the subject so many times, but like, I think a discussion needs to be had about Rafinha. One big problem I have with Rafinha, I I really don't want to swear, was this BS that was going on with the Porto players with him getting in fights. And when the final whistle happened, he was getting in fights. You're a clown, you know, Rafinha. What, what, this happens every game with the ref, with the just yelling at people and going at the ref and going at the opposing players. Like, I'm so sick and tired of this act from him. Like, you need to show more on the pitch because I'm tired of it. And I don't, I, I'm not going to say he's a coat like I do Ruben Vinagre because in Greece, we have this thing where it's your top player, your coat. He's neither. I, I don't think he's top. I don't think he's a coat, but you expect so much more from a player who's won the Champions League and has been in a Bayern Munich team like that. Like, what is this attitude with going at the ref? This is low-level football, yelling at the ref and yelling at the opposing players, fighting the opposing players. Just a clown show from him. Like, I'm so sick and tired of his act. Well, Lambro, let's first look at his performances. He's old. We know this. He wasn't meant to play every game, probably. We have Mohamed Drager, who got injured. He's also not super good. Uh, He's not really ready for these big European games just yet. But... Definitely Rafinha is is not as good as what we had last year. Just looking at him as a player, he's okay, but and he is he is involved in our our link up typically. Um, he does do a lot of good things, but definitely we're not seeing the production from him in attack that we saw from Omar. As far as you know, arguing with the refs, it is what it is. You get a lot of footballers, and honestly, he's achieved so much and like been such a big name throughout his career he probably just is a bit entitled honestly um so it's not something that really surprises me or anything like you see a lot of footballers argue with the refs and a lot of times it's just because they're spoiled or think they're entitled like it doesn't really mean much to me it's obviously annoying like most of the time um you just got to play and control what you can control but it doesn't really surprise me that we see that from him while we were watching the game, I was very down more so on Rafinha's defensive performances because I thought defensively he was very poor. Offensively, I thought he was okay, and the data supports that. As a team, Olympiacos attempted 11 crosses. Only five were successful. Rafinha was responsible for six of those attempts and three successes. So half of our crosses came from him. And then when it comes to smart passes – Olympiacos had 10 attempted smart passes, highest volume we've seen in over a month and a half, maybe even over two months in terms of us trying to break down a defense and cut through balls. He had two attempted smart passes, again, heavily involved, uh, one of the top three players in overall link-up play, 51 of 63 total passes, completed all five long balls he had. I mentioned the two attempted smart passes. He had uh, the most through balls for the team. Uh, He attempted three. One of them went through. The two that he missed, obviously, were the attempted smart passes. 
I mentioned the three of six crosses. He did get into five offensive duels, one which is a one-on-one dribble that he won. Um, the other two, of course, was him kind of getting closed down and making uh, a little bit of a bad mistake. He drew four fouls for us in the offensive third, too. Pretty big, got some important set pieces out of that. Now, where I thought he was extremely poor was defensively. I mean, his defensive duels were just careless, absolutely careless. And then, again, yelling at the ref when it was a clear foul. I will defend him to the death if he plays well and it's a bad call. But, no, they were poor. Two loose ball duels. The one that he won, the other was – I have no idea what he was doing. He had he couldn't stay on his feet also. Too many slides today uh, or yesterday. Unacceptable. Only one interception the whole game, five recoveries, and then three really poor giveaways in possession. Again, offensively, I, I think he did okay. The Some of the thoughts were there. Maybe you could say some of the execution wasn't. But for me, the really poor things from him were defensively. Was he the one who dived in on their second goal? He, like, yes. dived in and – yeah. That's what I mean. A player of that age and experience – why are you diving in when you have the player on the byline just stand up and contain, right? Like, isn't that simple football? Like, why why are you diving in like that? It's just, like, he wanted to block the cross, I would assume, and miss. But, like, you don't need to dive in. Like, every time I, I, I see him play, I just think, like, what is the point of having a 36-year-old trot out there and do all of this? For me, he's not a leader. Like, he just whines. And, sure, he does things offensively, but he's just another one of those players who's come in with a huge head and like the offensive ratings are there but like he just is mediocre defensively well we're beating the dead horse again i think like this is what we know why do we have half of our team be significantly over 30 years old like who thought that was a good idea we knew this like even yana is pretty old el arabi's old rafinha holebas are ancient valbuena is good but he's also ancient we wish we would have someone better than him, but we don't. We got him, you know, it was basically, oh, we've got our guy for one year, and then we have to look again over the summer. I don't look forward to having to look again over the summer because I don't really have high hopes that we're going to get someone. But Moving on from Rafinha, the the other defenders, what did you guys think? I thought Semedo just let us down so massively. And again, it was just a schoolboy red red card. It reminded me of the Wolves one a little bit. I don't know if you guys remember that one. Of course, it was a second yellow card, but it was the same stupidity of, like, diving in for no reason. You're already booked. Like, George had a tweet, and he said something like, whenever you need Semedo in a big European game, he'll let you down. Something like that. I don't agree completely with that, but, like, let's look back at some big games he has let us down. And I, I, I think I understand why some fans are tired of that act. You know, two red cards in two such crucial games, that first leg against Wolves. What could have been? We were dominating, get sent off. Like, It really is. And, and this is what's going to keep a player like him from going to a top club. You know, it's not that he goes to ground quickly, like some of those clown Liverpool fans were saying on Twitter. That's not it at all. It is his stupid decisions like this. Because had he not gotten the red card, even if he had gotten the first yellow card, which was dumb, he actually had a pretty good performance. I yeah. mean, very accurate on the ball, especially on his long balls. Did well under pressure. He was getting forward with the ball too. Six progressive runs. He was really involved. Again, quarterbacking for us. If you discount the two cards he had, 
He won all of his defensive duels. He had a 100% success rate on aerial duels in our defensive third. And he won almost everything in the offensive third as well. He did so well. Otherwise, four interceptions, 14 recoveries, one clearance, only one bad giveaway the whole game. But then he goes and gets those two red cards, and that's why he's such a frustrating player. It pisses me off. It always has. Even when I grew up playing, all the teammates I had that had natural ability, like Semedo, the sky was the limit. And I would have to work twice as hard to be able to do what they could. And then they would blow it being stupid like that. Just absolute mental problems. And this is what's going to keep Semedo from going to a top-tier league and a exactly. top-tier club. Stupid stuff like that. Yep. That red card probably lost Olympiacos 5 million euros at least, like... If we think yeah. about it, no one's going to remember the fact that he had a very, very good game. And I was going to say it, Adi, you take away the two yellow cards. He had a great game. He really did. He was both on the ball and in defense. He looked great. If you were to show big scouts film of that game and just like clip the cards, you know, you're probably looking at this is a big defender. We need to get this guy in. But, you know, scouts are going to say, oh, this Ruben Semedo guy we're looking at for Liverpool. Oh, how'd he do today? Oh, he got sent off. Nope. Okay. Not even worth my time to look. Who gets who gets second yellow card? Like we're not we're not worrying about that. This is the second time he got sent off against Wolves too. Clearly, this guy has a reputation. That's what Ruben Semedo has built for himself here. And honestly, you know what it is? You don't try in Greece because you think, oh, I'm a top player. I can just coast in Greece and it's all right. You know, maybe I occasionally mess up and make a mistake. But guess what? When you do that because you think you can against the smaller teams, that mindset, that mentality of not having to try, it creeps into the big moments, whether you like it or not. Yep. And he had habits. some, he had some questionable moments for his national team as well in UEFA nations league. When he got to play, he got such an amazing opportunity to represent his country. And what does he do? He plays badly and makes some poor mistakes all because that's just a habit for him because he doesn't try against Ofi Crete and Volos. Like that is completely on him. He has the tools to be an absolute top defender. 90% of the time, he looks like he could just get into any team, but it's that 10% that's going to keep anyone from looking at him. And even with his new contract, we're seeing him every time he gets sent off, every time he does something dumb, his transfer value is just getting chopped away. And it's really frustrating both for me as someone who wants to see him do well, and also we're looking for money for him from the club. You know, we need to use that to buy a left back and a right back and everything with this summer. So that's annoying for me that for that reason as well. There's examples for these guys. Who who gets sold and who goes on to have good careers from, from our team? It's the players who do it in the league first. You know, you use those league games to build your confidence you use it to build your skills you try things you wouldn't try in europe let's be honest like you're not going to try some of those things you do in greece those tricks those balls you play but you you work on it you work on it you stay focused and you use the league daniel podense grew so much as a player from his first season like we need to think about that he didn't come in as cristiano ronaldo like back when he was number he was slapped number like 56 on his back his first season or something yep. like that yeah this kid worked so hard in the greek league that that's where he built up does anyone remember the europa league real betis games and things like yep. that where he was just invisible sometimes and things like he worked in Greece in the derbies and the in the low level games. And that's where you create the base and that's where you go. And that's how you blow up. And look at Chimikas too. 
the, where did he build up? Look at Bob. In Greece. In yeah. Greece, you know. Who was the one playing the big Europa League game against AC Milan? It was Kutris. How did Chimikas get in the team? Because he worked so hard against Banyonios, against Atromitos, against these teams. Like, there's a map. Like, it's not like, how do I do it from this team? Like, we have players who have done it and showed you how you go on and become top players in this game. And some players just come in and are like, screw the league. Like, let's just roll. Let's roll Champions League. And and that's when the stupidity comes out and it shows you because you're you're not mentally sharp enough. Well, it's not just that. You'd also have some players like Semedo's CB partner that are also just sometimes error-prone. Even though Cissé had a better defensive performance yesterday, he made some really weird decisions. Like, I, I don't understand why Cissé sometimes will, like, throw his leg out, studs up to try and kick a ball away instead of trying to put himself in front of the ball. It was one of the only defensive duels that he lost when he was all the way up and he was pressuring for a ball off a throw in and he literally just sticks his leg out studs up to try and kick the ball away it's like those are amateur mistakes really stupid mistakes but unfortunately that's that's that, that's cse i mean i understand he's in form and that's probably he's playing over ba ba you know just recovering from his sickness and Cissé taking over for him. But Cissé's long balls were super poor. I had no idea what he was thinking on some of them. He was launching stuff, and I had no idea who it was supposed to be for. This is the stuff where individual decisions, stupid mistakes from players, they all come, they all catch up on you. Because all of these games, they're games of inches, right? You make a small mistake, give up a little bit here, give up a little bit here. It adds up. It all adds up. How many egregious mistakes did you see the Porto players making? Not many. That's the difference. And that's and that's the thing. We make egregious mistakes. And we have to work harder because the other teams aren't making egregious mistakes. Cissé giving the ball away four times stupidly. Nine of 19 long balls because he's sending some into the rafters or somewhere out in the pastures where nobody is stupid mistakes also the fact that we have two of the tallest players on the pitch and for some reason we can't win balls in the air in the opposing field what is up with that it doesn't make any sense all of these things little things they add up they all add up and this is why we lose games more in in europe more than we're winning right now I want to change the subject a bit to a player who came on as a substitute, Gostas Fortunis, who was expected to be in the team, had a hamstring injury. He didn't look to me 100%, at least not immediately. Maybe he grew into the game a little bit, but it just shows how reliant on him we are without Valbuena when he's clearly not fit. And 30 minutes in, we've basically decided we need him on the pitch. Uh, we talked about how Mari Kamara came off and Maybe it shouldn't have been Mari Camara, but I don't know. What do you guys think about Fortunis' performance during the game? I think he still definitely had a couple bright moments, even you know when he's not his full self. As we always say, a, a below-average game from Fortunis is still a very good game. I was worried. Honestly, I didn't want him to come on because we heard about the, the hamstring troubles, that it was tight, and they were worried about him. And then we literally risked injuring our best player, because it was things weren't going well. And he came on, and I tell you what, you know, there were times where you could tell he was a little injured, a little slow, maybe on the dribble. He had that one shot 
uh, that went over the bar was a, a pretty good opportunity. He had some some nice dribbles and progressive runs. He had that great run uh, in between the defenders where he then laid the ball off to El Arabi, who, of course, whiffed. With uh, in the end, Fortunis, 21 of 25, he had one long ball. Uh, that one shot over the bar that I mentioned, one attempted smart pass. He had two key passes, which were passes that led directly to goal-scoring opportunities that, of course, the other players missed. According to Scout, he was three for eight for, to for his total offensive duels. That's including his that one-on-one -on -one dribble he won. But effectively, he was six of eight. Um, we mentioned Scout. if you go backwards or you don't actually go closer to the goal, they count it as a lost duel. But there were times Fortunius was getting closed down and he got out of it and got out of pressure. For me, that's that's success. He kept the ball and we kept possession. That's that's a successful offensive duel unless it was off the break and they stopped the break. So effectively, he was six of eight. We mentioned the progressive runs that he had. Now, he did track back. He wasn't successful at all tracking back, but he did. Didn't win any of his defensive duels on the press. Nothing in the air. No loose balls. One interception, two recoveries. And he did have two bad giveaways. By Fortunis' standards, not his best game. But compared to everybody else we had on the pitch, he did more than most of the team. This guy's been playing twice a week for a whole month. And it shows. You know, he, he's quality. And he shows the quality, especially from the free kicks and the, the corners. And where has Ruben Semedo gone from some of these corners and set pieces? I feel like he gets a good header or something or he gets a chance and he just whiffs the header. Like, he was scoring those last year. God, I, I don't want to make this comparison, but it's almost like Messi with Barcelona. It's like he just looks around and it's like got his hands in his face and he's just like, Someone help me, please. You know what I mean? Like, just give me some help. Like, the guy in front of him is a statue in Europe. Passes to Masuras, and he has feet like bricks. Like, he can't get past a single person. He's got Holebas. He's Jan Envia in between the center backs. He has Bukhalakis, who's not technically gifted. He has an 18-year-old, and he has Rafinha ready to start a fight. He needs help. He needs quality. You know, when we watch Greece, we say all the time, like, you can see his quality come out and the quality's not there around. And by the way, you brought Masuras up. Can we talk about that chance that he had in the first half? One-on-one -on -one with the goalkeeper. Oh. Do we have an XG on that, I wonder? like point, It was 0.29. It was the best. It was the yeah, most dangerous opportunity of the chance. game. More than Porto without the penalty as a whole. Correct. If I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. uh, if, we had, if we had the Masuras of, of Sunday... Maybe he scores that goal. We need the consistency from him. He cont He's continuing to get better, I think, but we just need the consistency from him. He really wasn't super involved. He got subbed off and Lazar came on, but the numbers really don't do much for him. Um, he only passed the ball nine times, had three offensive duels, only one was successful. He detracts back as he does. Three of six on defensive duels, two for two on aerials, one for two on loose balls two interceptions and one recovery, but he also had three poor giveaways in possession. Like, can we just get two good games in a row from this guy yeah. once? I mean, that's all I want. Just like a good Greek game and a good European game. Honestly, I don't even need the good Greek game. Like he can have a stinker against Volos. Like this is once again, beating a dead horse. We know this is how Masuras is. I hope I need Fortunis completely out of the squad. Just like let him sit on a beach in Glifada or whatever uh, for the weekend and, and just let him relax, and I don't even care who we throw in there, but, like, keep him away from a football pitch for a few days, give him some ice, give him a massage. He deserves the time off. 
Peter, you were really nice. You mentioned he only had nine passes, but there were only three that made it to other teammates' feet. <laughs> he only completed three passes in 52 minutes. What the great. hell is that? That is ridiculous. Yeah. This is the player that we just saw that looked like, all right, here we go. You know, the, the new Yanakopoulos is coming out. <laughs> this is and always, then, every time, he does, time, he does one of those, and then the next game, time. stinker. The problem yeah. is, like, with Masuras is he shows it, and we're like, here we go. With Rangelovic, he never shows it, and we're like, we're never going. And like, Lazar is just like the like the equivalent of Masuras after a good game. Like they're just the, basically yeah. like the same player. Like like Lazar crossing and killing in. a bird. Like can't dribble past anyone. At yeah. least Masuras got in that position to miss that beautiful chance. Like Lazar wouldn't even like he would be running towards our goal. Like he doesn't even know which way he's supposed to run. This clown. Like. I would have kept Masuras on even if, like, I don't know, Lazar Angelovic was looking like Cristiano Ronaldo in training because he sucks big <laughs> time. He's not scoring anything. He hasn't scored in, like, two years, a year. Bazak Shir, maybe they're the only ones who, who remember him scoring. Like He scored against Bakaki's FC, who's a top <laughs> player. My God, it's a, it's a calamity. Like I, We're like, we need a goal. We're going to do it. And then it's like, and uh, Rangelovic is coming on. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, I was ready to, like, <laughs> lose it. I was, like, already not happy. And then it's like, yeah, big change coming in. Uh, Rangelovic from the English announcer. I was like, oh, God, please. I, I, I think I saw, like, Bob sent out a tweet that was, like, super funny. It was like, Jesus Christ, just prove me more wrong for <laughs> once, man. Please. And I was thinking the same thing. I was like, that is just an epic statement. Like, I want one moment for like Ranjelovic to score a hat trick and all of you guys to come out of the woodwork, like out of the storm drain. Like Ranjelovic is world class. He's the next Ronaldo of Serbia. Like I need you all to come out of the woodwork and for him to do something. Like <laughs> yeah. I really want to get roasted for Ranjelovic to be so good, but it's never going to happen, people. I'm sorry. If only, if only. The, the worst part about Masuras is uh, missed chance was that he literally did the hard part beautifully cutting through both defenders the back to the ball turns around gets a nice touch on it gets a beautiful touch on it and all he had to do was literally tap it behind the keeper and he just overdoes it like kills a bird i mean are you kidding me you did the hardest part that was the difficult part i thought for sure i was like this has got to be a goal he he got it down it's per no I mean, that was the worst part. And all this does for me is kind of highlight right now who the best winger we have is. And it's Vrusai. Again, another appearance from him. And he looks the most dynamic of the wingers we have available. 18 of 24 passes completed. He had that one shot. We need to get him in the weight room a little bit, uh, you know, work on the, the muscles in his legs so we can get some more strength and oomph out of that shot. It was a little weak. But you know what? I'll take the effort. Two of three attempted smart passes. He looks to cut through defense. He's had attempted smart passes in every game. He makes the runs for other players too, and he knows how to, to look and cut the defense. According to Scout, two of 12 offensive duels, effectively six of 12. He was getting out of a lot of those situations, was forced to make a back pass without any help. But he was doing as well, doing well holding his own. Two for two on the dribble. Track back well, too. Five of six defensive duels. One for five in the air. Not quite so good with that. Three interceptions, three recoveries. 
Vrusai's our best winger. And we have literally been sitting with him on the bench for most of the season until now. <laughs> this is probably one of the most egregious things to happen for the team is to have a player with this skill and the ability to stretch the, the width of the field on the bench for so long. And the worst part is, to some degree, Martin still hasn't really learned from that mistake. Like, we still have barely seen Andruzos. We still have barely seen Hugo Kuypers. I mean, I'm not expecting all of them to be the level of but like it shows you what happens when you just give someone a chance like we saw in the Manchester City game in like six minutes like oh this kid's pretty good it doesn't take that long we saw Tiago Silva in the league register an assist in 10 minutes but I will also say Vrusai had a great game but probably still you know you look at the offensive duels maybe his worst game since he's come into the team. And I mean, it's very easy to explain why for most of the game, he's on the right wing and he's going up against Zaidu, who I'm going to say it again. He's a beautiful man. And I would, I would do many things to get him in Olympiacos team. It's like the, the meme of like Wolverine on his bed, looking at the picture frame and like the picture <laughs> has Zaidu in it. That's like my mood. Every time we play Porto, what a player he is. Like we, uh, if, if we had him, things would be different, but yeah, Vrusai, uh, another good performance. You know, he's he's cementing his spot. He's unbenchable at this point. At least that's the way I see it. And you know what the crazy thing is? Like, you have a 14-man squad, and you wonder, like, why are these players becoming complacent and not playing well anymore? Well, because they know they're going to play. Like, that's a good they point. know they're going to play, right? So then you have players who don't play. They come in. And they play, they fight, they run, because they know they don't have that spot. So you, you, you think about it, Coach Martins. Like, you want to you wanna take a step back. You want to wonder, why, why are these kids playing so well? And why hasn't Lazar scored in a year? Maybe it's because Lazar knows he's going to play every single match day. Is that difficult to understand? You let Andruzos play. He knows what this club is about. He grew up in this academy. He fights for this team. He runs. You, you kidding me? He can't get in? Like, it's just so frustrating, you know, because you have these these guys like Rangelovic who just walk into the team and they don't even have to fight for a place. It's a joke. And we've seen this exact phenomenon come true with the strikers. El Arabi's in a bit of a rut. Okay, Hassan, you're starting. Hassan, go get 90 minutes. El Arabi, sit on the bench and think about what you've done. El Arabi comes back into the team and looks a bit better. We've seen and we've talked about it. He had the hat trick, but when he's when he's sort of down bad looking for goals, he plays worse because it gets in your head. It's natural as a striker to do that. You know, you're thinking, I'm supposed to be the king of Qatar, but I haven't scored a goal in a month. I haven't scored a goal in Europe since the qualifiers. Like, oh God, I have to score a goal. And it gets in your head and it makes you more selfish and you overthink chances and you're just not going to be as successful. So... That might be a bit of what we're seeing with him. I think he was still okay. He did have that one. Fortunius just gave him a gift, a Christmas gift. It's just straight in his path, and he absolutely fluffed it. This was, of course, when we were still down, uh, only one goal, and it was just like, oh, El Aravi, if you, if you could just get that, oh, that would be beautiful. But he didn't, and it probably has to do with you know the mental stuff that he's going through. The rest of his game, relatively quiet, you know, didn't really do too much, but he was a little bit more encouraging in terms of passing. 
this performance is just kind of topping off how crappy a season he's had with respect to Champions League, including qualifiers. Seven games total, almost 600 minutes played. One goal, 16 shots. And of 16 total shots he's had in this whole campaign of all of these games that he's played, five on target. You don't get much from him. Total expected goal differential of 2.6 for the whole the whole campaign. He should have about two goals. He's got one. It's just been disappointing. And he literally has not been the player that he was last year. He might be on fire in Greece. He might be doing extremely well in Greece, but he's not doing on the European stage. Last year, when he played Champions League for this team, he had five goals. And remember... We got him in the summer. He didn't really play in a lot of the the, the elimination games, the, the playoff games leading up to the group stage. He was only involved against, uh, if I remember correctly, it was Krasnodar. He played, I think, the full game. And then he played in the majority of the, the group stage games that we had. Five goals. And get this. He literally, the whole campaign, including the, the qualifiers that he played in, a grand total of eight shots. This man converted five goals from eight shots in all of Champions League last year. And he had an expected goal differential for of 2.31. Last year, he went beyond what he was expected of him. This year, he's well below what's expected. And think about it. Last year, as you said, Adi, like this guy came in, we were like, okay, he did it in you know, Arabia, he did it in the Middle East, but, like, is he good enough to start over Guerrero? Like, I mean, as, as funny as that sounds, like, that's what we were saying. It was like, do we go with Guerrero or do we go with this El Arabi guy? Like, we don't really know. And El Arabi was like, all right, I got something to prove. I'm playing Champions League football. I'm assuming it was his first Champions League experience at the time. And, you know, he's like, all right, I'm going to be the best striker in Greece. I'm going to put on in Champions League and tell everyone how good I am. And he had an amazing season. Now, obviously, he also had better service and whatnot. But, like, that was that motivation. He was not guaranteed a starting spot. It was literally like, we're going to go with Guerrero and see what happens. And, like, Guerrero was pretty poor. Um, you know, no insulting to him. But he wasn't exactly good at scoring goals. Uh, and now it's just like, oh, Youssef. Oh, it's you. You're you're amazing. We can't bench you for the hat trick against Atromitos. Like, and especially with Hassan out now, what happens if he fails? He's still in the team at this point. Well, I got the solution to that, and it's in Marseille right now. You guys know what I'm talking about. Oh, if we bring in another geriatric player, I'm literally like, I'm I don't know what I'm gonna do. Like, yeah, no. Anyone under 25, Lambro, you're under 25. I'd rather like see you in the team than Mitro Blue at this point. I can't with these old players. I said it in the chat. If we just turn into like Glifada retirement home, like I can't do that. We already have so many geezers and we see what happens when we trot them out every week. If we're going to have players who suck, can they at least just be like young, promising Greek players? Like let's just go out and like do like the Olympiakos of old used to do and just like poach every other Greek team's good young prospects like back in the day. No, I, I agree completely about El Arabi, and it's frustrating because you don't have a solution. Like, if someone scores a hat-trick on, on the weekend, you're not going to drop them, you know? Like, yep. it's difficult to, to find a solution to, and there's just not much there on the bench. Like, uh, a person we really haven't gotten into is Hilal Suzani, who was, what a player before the injury last season, and it, it sounds like he may be out the door. Like, I haven't seen He's also, like, 32 for... years old. 
he he was also old, but he was also quite good. I felt last year. I don't know what the solution is here. Like, would I like Mitroglou? It is known, as they say. I I, I love the guy, but again, I, I I just don't know. Like, could Hugo Kuipers get ninety minutes? I guess this weekend we're we're playing Lamia on the road. Could Sudani get close to ninety minutes? Like, surely I don't know. Honestly, Sudani, as good as he was last year, I mean, recovering from it, the, yeah. you know, an ACL injury like that, and he's 33. No, it, it was his third ACL, too, or second. Yeah, or third. I mean, yeah. I, we haven't seen – he hasn't played a full game since he's come back. We've seen bits and pieces there, and he just looks a step off, you know. Yeah. Uh, it just – it doesn't look like the guy that was all over the place, getting involved in everything, doing everything – and those injuries are so difficult to recover from. I've had two of them myself. And if he, that's his third. I mean, it's, they're so tough. It's so tough to motivate yourself to go and get back into fitness. You know, obviously he's got trainers and other people motivating him and pushing around him, but he's 33. He knows his time is almost up. You know, I don't know how much we can look to that. I don't think we should really be sticking with that and the problem i have with el arabi we're we just extended his contract we're giving him two million euros that's his new contract that's a lot of money to give a guy that really just doesn't look like the same player at least in europe that he did he did last year obviously in greece his goal per game average is weighted up by the fact that he had two hat tricks in two games so that makes it look good. But when you look deeper into it, he's only scored in like three games. I don't know if we made the right decision giving him 2 million euros a year for or for the, the, the next year of his contract. Honestly, quick point. I know why he's not scoring in Europe. It's because there's no fans in the stadium for him to shoot at with this celebration. That's <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe the ownership's like, oh, once the fans are in the stadium and everyone's like, King of Qatar, like then he's back. I I have no idea, but that's well, the goal there. I don't know. I do want to touch on one player that probably very much enjoys not having the fans in the stands before we finish up the game. That that man is Andreas Buhalakis, the man who is constantly just harassed by greek fans whenever he makes the slightest mistake but as we briefly mentioned i thought it was a solid game from him you know we've discussed he's not a player who's really good enough to be a consistent starter in the champions league for me um i i don't think he is at least but a solid performance for him against porto attempted 50 passes and completed 48 of them which is obviously great six for seven on long balls which is very good uh he did have a shot assist he did win two of four offensive duels. He did attempt a shot, but it was blocked. I think if I remember correctly, it was blocked pretty early on. Mm -hmm. um, the ball didn't spend that much time in the air. He was four for six on defensive duels, four interceptions, nine recoveries, one clearance, two for five on loose balls, and one for two on aerial duels. Honestly, I know we're about to get into man of the match, but I think Buhalakis might be my man of the match just because, you know, there's not really anyone else to, to give it to at this point. He also had that gorgeous – one of his long balls was that gorgeous ball perfectly to Masuras. I mean, oh, yeah. had, the, had the ball not been as perfect as it was, does Masuras convert it? That's the question. We've talked about this and we've said this. I've said this, I know, ad nauseum. He is what he is. You know what I mean? And as long as he's confident, 
this is what you get. No really bad giveaways. If we had this Bukalakis the first time we played Porto, we draw that game or maybe you know maybe we even win that game. But when his confidence isn't there, he's he's a you know super league player and that's it. When he's in form and he's doing well, he he's serviceable, more than serviceable. But you know you're not getting you're not getting uh, like a Pirlo out of here. This uh, he's a workhorse. He'll 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 never shy away from his defensive duties and defensive responsibilities. But you know he, he is what he is. Well, with that, should we wrap up and go around with our man of the match and coach's grade? I'll get started and say, as I sort of hinted at, probably Buhalakis. Vrusai also gets a nod. Um, he was limited by Zaidu, so that's why Buhalakis gets the edge for me. But it's a forgettable game. We move on. Martins, you know, it's not entirely his fault, as we've talked about. We just have geriatric players. We have, you know, subpar players. He threw out what he threw out there, you know, I'm not a fan of the 4-3-3 or what it became. You know, I'm, I want a more creative midfielder in there, but Fortunis wasn't, I guess, ready to go. They were concerned with him. So for me, I will give Martins a C and just say, we are so lucky to have gotten European football. We'll talk more broadly about the campaign with Steve uh, on Monday, but we are so lucky to be still playing European football. Marseille, honestly, are a stinker team. They're not good. Their best players are old and washed up. They're basically like the Olympiacos of France with like overweight Dimitri Payet running out there. Like they're not good enough. If they were in Europa League, they would get smoked. If we got a team like Munchen Gladbach, like we would be kissing our hopes goodbye. We need to make some changes in the winter and hopefully we do that. So it's a uh, a C for me for Martins and Buhavaki's man of the match. What about you, Lambro? Yeah, with you bringing up the opponents we could face right now around midnight uh, Central European time, we have the list of opponents and it's not looking good, everyone. I think we're toast. I If this team doesn't change massively, I'm going to read them off to you. Roma, Arsenal, Bayer Leverkusen, Rangers of Scotland, PSV Eindhoven, Napoli, Leicester City, AC Milan, Villarreal, Tottenham, Dynamo Zagreb, Hoffenheim, Manchester United, Club Brugge, Ajax, and Shakhtar Donetsk. There's maybe one or two teams in there that I would Zagreb. I would take. Because we played so poorly, we're unseated. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, there there are a couple teams. There's no pushovers. None of those teams are pushovers. The terrible thing is for the coefficient. Olympiacos has to at least get past this stage so that we can set ourselves up and set Greece up in a decent place to make a real push for a much better place in the coefficient next season. But there's no easy teams here. And I'm not confident that we could beat, based on what we've seen, beat any of them. That's the huge problem. And when it comes to when it comes to, you know, my coach's grade and man of the match for for this game, I am really struggling on who I want to give man of the match to. I have no idea who I want to give it to. You know, Bukalakis may have not been poor, but he only really had that one, you know, the the the, the gorgeous key pass that he had, the gorgeous ball to Masuras. That was like the only the only thing that he had that I said, wow, that, that was great. Otherwise, you know, he did his part maintaining possession. He did his off the ball duties, but did he really do enough 
could you say that he was a player that really was in the best position to make us win the game? I want to say Fortunis, but I also didn't think Fortunis had as great of a game. Did he make some great opportunities for us? Yes. Did he gift a, a goal to El Arabi on a silver platter that he missed? Yes. It, it's tough. And at the same time, there's Vrusai, who also, you know, had some balls and tried to take people on, may, had some good thoughts. But he didn't actually have any any individual decisions that led directly to a shot he ha he had some great passes that led to things but you know it it's tough there wasn't anybody i almost don't want to give a man of the match so i mean i w with some reluctance i guess i'll give it to uh i'll give it to fortunis with bukalakis as a runner-up and for my coaching grade Given that we thought Fortunis was hurt, I can't get upset about the 4-3-3 because that's kind of all we thought we had. I'm glad he started Vrusai and Masudas. I would have done the same thing. Not upset with the starting lineup. What I am upset about is the Mahdi change. I think Mahdi should have been on the field and maybe somebody more negative like Mvila should have come off. He didn't do that. That's going to be a, a, you know, a, a negative tick in my book. Bringing Radejevic on. Radejevic, when you look at what he produced on the field, Masuras might have done nothing, but Radejevic also pretty much did next to nothing except commit, uh, again, more fouls. So I don't think that was a good substitute either. So, you know, I might give uh, Martins probably a B minus. Yeah, real quick, I didn't, I didn't give him. I, I really don't want to give him man of the match either. I thought the whole team was so deflating, depressing, and mediocre. I'm not even going to give one, actually. Yeah, I'm going to take the cop out. I'm going to say Otavio from uh, Porto. And for from coach, to be fair, grade, uh, I feel like a good cop out. You can always just give it to Jose Sa as long as he doesn't have like an absolute howler. Yeah, like, but sometimes I do that when yeah. we play bad. It's just like, oh, Sa didn't didn't yeah. mess up. The problem is Sa didn't get any like chances to save anything. Really, it was like exactly. Eh. But everyone else was poor, and he yeah, exactly. wasn't. Sa had good distribution. <laughs> yeah, screw it, Peter. Sa Sa is my man of the match. Two goals he couldn't do anything about. Anyway. Coach is great. We were going back and forth with someone in our um, Twitter mentions. I, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting his name. I think it was George, maybe George. I don't know his uh, full Twitter name. It's not the George who was on our podcast, a different George. But he's like, oh, we, we should try young players on Druto Sulis. But like at this point in the Champions League, like this, this was all Martins could do. And when he went to 4 2 3 1 with Fortunis. That was his role of the dice, you know. There wasn't much to do. Like, yes, we would have preferred Maddie to stay on the field, but that was it. Like, I really can't fault him because it's just a limited selection, and I don't know how much he is to blame for that, but it is that. So I'm going to give him a B minus, C plus. We also had uh, we put a tweet out when the game was over, telling our listeners that we wanted their voices to be heard. Uh, if they wanted to drop any comments or statements or. Any questions, whether it was in our DMs or on the thread that we made, uh, we'll read through them. So the first one that we got was from at Anastasios underscore Vu. Uh, wasteful, anxious, and rigid football, almost as if they're trying too hard to show some flair. Risking Fortunis coming on wasn't worth it. We rely on El Arabi, and as a result, there's no incentive to create other chances. Holebas and Rafinha, utterly woeful. Um, I definitely understand the emotion here. I don't know if I would say Holebas was woeful because defensively Holebas was okay. He didn't lose any defensive duels. He won almost all of his loose balls. 
six interceptions, nine recoveries. He did way more. He was more clinical than Rafinha. Now, did he offer as much going forward? No, we know that we don't get the same production. Two, two attempted crosses, but he did have two key passes, two total shot assists. He did more than Rafinha did in the final third. So I can't say Holebas did a really poor job. Maybe it was okay, but I don't think it was really poor. Rafinha, on the other hand, defensively was was miserable. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about Holebas. I don't like to use him as a scapegoat. I mean, he is definitely one of the weaker points of our team, but there's a lot of other issues uh, than just him. I mean, for me, it's just we've talked about the transfer policy, and I think that's poor as well. But I like the way that uh, one of our other commenters put it, at uh, Zafirup05, we clapping emoji, need clapping emoji, young clapping emoji, and, and you know, clapping emojis between every word. We need young and fresh legs. Agreed. Yeah, that's that's about it. Like, it's not whole boss. It's just like this old geezer's getting out there every game. Like, I don't care how bad Ruben Vinagre is. We've got a string of Greek League games. Like, I, I just, just, just let him go be bad. Um, if we're going to, like, let Jose Holebas get some time off and then um, go buy someone in the winter, I think one of the other commenters we had was mentioning um, some targets that we were interested in for left back for the winter. So hopefully we do that. And Jose Holebas doesn't have to be in the team that much anymore. Yeah, I believe it was uh, Void of Vision at Decimus. He brought up Bjorkan. He also said the same thing. I never want to see Holebas in the starting 11 ever again. Guys, Holebas was not supposed to be the day-in left back. He even said the same thing when he came here. He's supposed here. to be the Toro Cedis replacement. Yeah, he was supposed to be rotational. And all these teams in Europe are targeting his side. And he's doing well. He's doing pretty well on the left side, stopping them and... I mean, when he closes people down, he's closing them down and winning the ball most of the time or forcing them backwards. He's not doing bad. He's doing better, way better than we expected. I understand, you know, I don't like seeing older people on the field all the time. I agree, but we can't give too much stick to Holebas because he's going beyond what was expected of him. He's doing more than ever should have been expected to him, expected of him. Now, I, uh, you know, Bjorkan was interesting. I didn't do a deep dive on him because I wanted to wait to see if that was a signing we would actually get, but he is an interesting player. We just need a young left back. Uh, you know, it would be nice if we brought a certain Leonardo Kutris back, maybe desperately need him. That would probably be nice, but we're not going to go there. Yeah, actually, a different George, Ozzy George, who we've had, uh, who's the host of the Hellas Footy Pod, mentioned that in a comment. I think it was under an Olympiacos EU post. But, like, I really don't want to bring Kutris back into this mess, to be honest with you. I don't want to bring Yanni Masura back into this mess either. Like, what is the point? I don't think pulling them from, like, decent starts to their loans is an ideal solution for us. And I want to point out a comment made by Leonidas Papadopoulos, who said, unfortunately, there's a lack of passion slash confidence from the players, and we're, we keep seeing these dull performances. I think the most important thing right now is not to make transfers, but to change the mindset, and that's the duty of Martins. So, Leonidas, I think you've hit something important, but I disagree about the transfers. I believe we do need transfers, but there is a lack of passion and confidence. I don't know if you guys are seeing this too, but like, this is going to be controversial, but like, where's like almost like the Zeka, you know, the guy who's telling these guys like heads up, come on, let's go. There's no one after that first goal was conceded. It was heads dropped. Jan and Villa is not that leader. Matthew Valbuena is that heart and soul of our team. And when he's not on, on there, like who's leading the players, like there's no leadership. 
Buhalakis is a as a player we can get into it, but he's a terrible captain. He's just not vocal enough. He's not a leader. Well, first of all, I want to say that Kutris hasn't exactly had a decent start to his loan. He still hasn't played a minute of football yet. Um, Are you serious? Yeah. Oh my god! So wow, I saw like photos of him in training thought like oh whoopee like things are going good and he was smiling so i mean maybe he's enjoying not playing a minute of football but he hasn't played a minute of football interesting for, uh, okay so uh just to clarify that but i mean lamro you're right we need transfers this team as it is is going out in the first round of europa league i would put money on it yep. and i'm not even a better so we need transfers we do uh i don't disagree about the mentality though it seems like the ability sometimes isn't matched by the mentality. We get the ball and we, you know, get more positional attacks than the other team, but we just can't really bring it home. And as far as who that leader is going to be, it probably is Valbuena for this team. But honestly, how many years are we going to have Valbuena for? We need someone to to come up and take this role. Like maybe it's even Vrusai as he grows into the team more and more. Like we can see what kind of player he is, but. I agree Buhanlakis isn't really the captain type, regardless of how he is as a player. And Fortunius, honestly, isn't really the captain type either. Um, you know, maybe he leads by example, but, you know, he's not the hardest worker off the pitch. Like, in terms of training, maybe he's not the best role model there. He's not super vocal on the pitch. So, well, we kind of just briefly touched on the transfers a little bit. We had a, you know, a, co- a question from Steven Goduru. What are your thoughts, even though it's obvious to most, what are your thoughts on areas in which to improve the squad and players that need to leave in January? We kind of touched on this already. Obviously, left back, young left back. We were just talking about we need to bring somebody in. Uh, we, we need a right back. You know, we need a right back too because Drager, we talked about that injury. You know, what do we promote somebody from the academy or do we just wait and just hope we can run Rafinha as long as possible? Maybe fill in Bruno and Andrew. well, Bruno is out till for a while. We don't oh, know. Oh, that's his right. Deal that's right. Too. We had COVID. Uh, no, he had he's suffering from those COVID complications, myocarditis. So, you know, what are we going to do with that right back? You know, then there, you know, we just gave El Arabi a contract extension. Sudani doesn't look, look good. Hassan is having COVID complications as well. We barely see Kuipers. What do we do with the striker position? You know, and then winger. I, honestly, at this point, I'd be sending Bruma and Vinagre back 100%. Just get them out. Let's get, you know, something else uh, in the wing here. Vrusai has to, of course, become a standard. So that's what I'd be looking at. You know, two fullbacks, both sides, uh, definitely at least one winger, send back Vinagre and Bruma. I'm not ready to give up on Bruma just yet. I think he's just been injured. I don't know if there's any stories that I'm missing about him in training or anything, but I am willing to keep him on, but I do think we need a winger, and I do want to loan Lazar out. If I was the manager of the club, I'd be sending him to Atromitos just like I did my football manager save last year with Olympiacos. So left back, number one priority. For me, another striker, and his name is Duvikas, is the number two priority. Or Yakumakis would work. Actually, Funtas, I wonder, could be an interesting one too. I'm just, you know, limiting myself to Greek players because obviously um, we know all the Greek players. But those are maybe a few options. And then right back, I also think, is a necessity. Just anyone like... Rafinha is okay, but we just need someone to keep him from playing every single game. Whereas left back, we need a nailed on starter who can play pretty much all the time. Vinagre, like 
unless we see something between now and the break in the next few games, yeah, I've, I've kind of, I don't think he's going to be a part of our team. So like if we're going to actually try to win Europa league matches, he's not going to be a part of that. So he can go, I think the midfield in terms of players, I think we have enough midfielders, but yeah, left back, right back, winger, striker. For yeah, me. And I, I, I think the club needs a good transfer window. And when was the last time that happened? I think the saying is struck out in the past two transfer windows. We need a transfer window like last, not this last summer, but the summer before that. And the summer before that, when we cleared out all that dead weight after Hasi and brought in so many new players, we need a lot of players. Is the club ready to do that? Is the club able to do that? That's a, especially in January. They kind of did themselves in by just having a completely miserable summer window, you know, and I don't know. It's it's a difficult position because now they're sitting here in January and they're they're looking to fill in like six to seven players. Can you even do that? We'll 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 have to see. Well, I mean, I think we kind of just saw we need at least four players right now. Is the club going to get four players? No. I mean, winter windows usually are pretty uneventful as far as things go. Anyways, um, well, last winter we sold Podence, but you know, I don't expect us to bring in four big time players that can contribute right away over the winter. I expect a left back. I do. Uh, maybe a striker, maybe Mitroglou, honestly, like I could see it at this point. And then maybe a right back. If it turns out that Drager's injury is pretty bad and, and Bruno's not going to be able to come back soon, but I don't really expect much folks. One last question that we had from our good friend, George uh, from LS football. He asked, what do we do with Semedo and his constant brain fades in important matches? We discussed, obviously, this trend already, but in terms of what do we do, well, it's hard. <laughs> I was going to say, I think we give him a rest, but he'd probably enjoy that. I don't think he likes playing against small Greek clubs anyway. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know exactly what you do. I mean, maybe it's Martins, you know, getting behind the scenes and being like, look, Fernando Santos just saw that, you idiot. How do you think that turned out for you? Jurgen Klopp just saw that. You know, give him some perspective, but it seems like it's going to be really hard for him to actually learn to, to be better because either he's going to be stuck here and get away with the same stuff against Greek sides, or he's going to move somewhere and, and think that he got what he wanted. You know, if he goes to Liverpool, he's, Oh, it wasn't a problem. I can get sent off. I can still do this. I'm invincible. You know? Well, there's a couple things you can do as a coach, right? So it, again, it depends on the, how fragile the mentality is of the player. And when I say fragile, I'm not saying he's weak. I'm just saying that there are some players that can deal with the drill sergeant as a coach, and there are some that can't, that will buckle and then get worse. So it depends on what type of player Semedo is in training. You could have the type of coaches that I had, you know, one whom I've mentioned in the past, who was a scout for Olympiacos and trained me, who was much more strict. If I did what Semedo did, I would be running for hours with a medicine ball and a weighted vest strapped to me. That's what I would, that's what would have happened to me. And you bet your ass, I would never have done something like that again. But I've also played with players, both in club, when I played in high school, in the Olympic development program, where that were, you had to, they had to be coddled. You couldn't scream at them. You couldn't punish them because it just made them worse it just started to make them freeze up and then worry that they were going to make a mistake again Semedo, i don't believe that he's mentally fragile in that respect i think he can take a bit of a scolding 
he does seem like the type of player to me based on his attitude on the field and what we've seen in some off the field moments, I should say. He definitely thinks he's good. I w- it wouldn't surprise me if he thinks he's better than this league. I would bench him immediately. He's already going to miss the next Europa League game, but I would bench him in the next game for Greece. You you have to teach a player like this a lesson because if you let it go, they're going to continue to do it. And Martins has to take the stand here because he, he has to put his foot down and let him know that, hey, you know, he did the same thing with Fortunis. And Fortunis is arguably the best player on the team. He's got to do it with Semedo also. This is the only way you're going to get this player to, to learn from this because he's doing the same thing he did last year. He hasn't learned from it. I brought up earlier leaders and captain materials. And it's a difficult time for Ruben Semedo if coronavirus wasn't around. I would say make him captain of the nightclub team and send in Lazar and Bruno. Those clowns <laughs> should have been on the bench from that moment. And you want to know something, Bruno and Lazar, what happened to them after that clown moment? They got coronavirus. You know why Ruben Tomato didn't get coronavirus? Because he already had coronavirus. It, it's just a clown mentality. He should have been on the bench. Him, Bruno, and Lazar. Lazar, how is he in the squad? I understand Tomato because he's a class player and we need him. But, like, he should be riding on the bench, you know? And, honestly, it's a calamity. It's because these guys didn't get punished for their actions that they continue to make these mistakes and continue to think they're above the system. He should just be the captain of the clown car and go to the nightclub. Like, it's a joke. I mean, one thing I will say, Lambro, is um, as a coach, if I was a coach, I'm not going to punish players differentially based on how good they are. I'm either going to sit them all down or not sit any of them down. You know, I'm not going to say, oh, you're good, so you can get away with going to the nightclub. That's yeah. that's not how I would roll. But I think they definitely should have been punished to some degree. You know, they got to walk right back in, except for the players who saw the consequences of their actions by getting sick. And now look at Bruno. He's potentially dealing with some really dangerous stuff. Anyways, I think we've talked about that game and the team enough. Uh, let's move on to Pauk versus Granada quite a repeat of the first matchup, uh, which we also didn't expect to be as close as it was. It's a 0-0 draw. Another ugly one, but Pauk did enough to get the result. We thank them for the coefficient because this game meant absolutely nothing to them. It also, I don't think, meant much to Granada either. I think that group is pretty much locked up as it is. So good for Pauk for getting the result. We saw some nice moments from Christos Solis, as we often do in Europe. I'm not going to complain. Good for Pauk for actually getting a result this week. Adi, what did you see watching the game today? I was actually impressed with uh, how well the team, the defense, with the midfield combined were crowding out the defensive third, really frustrating Grenada. They were, re- I mean, some of those players were getting really upset, they, a lot of screaming, a lot of diving. Um, Cholak was poor again. He was flopping like one of those Bronzinos that you find up in the European rivers. Uh, he was just poor, but uh, they had they introduced some youth on that team that I thought did well on the on the European stage. So I thought it was a, a decent game. Obviously, we have no metrics. The games just happened today, but uh, I wish that the Balk that played against Grenada in both those games played that way against Omonia. Yeah, I was going to ask you, Adi. We saw a European debut for Yorgos Kutsias, the young attacker, came out on the wing to start the game. Got subbed off at halftime, but what did you see from him? He's only 16 years old. He was definitely interesting. Uh, some nerves, I think, being on on a big stage like that. But he had a couple of nice moments where he played the ball in. Uh, 
definitely somebody to keep an eye on going forward. Um, from what I saw, his touches is okay. Uh, again, I think uh, some of the mistakes that he made in the game, I think mainly were probably due to nerves. But I liked what I saw. I think he's going to be an interesting prospect for them. And then another young player who played his second game in Europe, but I think maybe his first start was uh, the right back, Lefteris Liratsis. Not the best name for a right back, Lefteris, but, you know, it is what it is. Uh, he's 20 years old, so he's a bit older. He did play in the 4-1 victory over PSV as a substitute. But, you know, right back has been sort of a weak position for Pauk this year. What did you see from him, Adi? I'll be honest with you. I haven't really been impressed with anybody that's been playing on that right side for Pauk, even in Greece. I didn't see anything that I thought was any worse than what I've seen in the past. You know, I, if mm -hmm. I were them, I, I would honestly just, now that there's no Europe for them, I would ride with some of these younger guys. This is really what Balk, what helped them become successful over the course of the last couple of years, trusting some of this youth and playing them and building it. it it's similar to the Bonifinaikos model back when they were successful, building yep. on some of this youth. And they've got some talent. It makes me jealous as an Olympiakos yeah. fan to see some so much Greek talent coming out of their academy that really looks like it, they can do something on the field for them. So I, 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 I'm happy to see him. I hope they play him more often. I hope he sees more of the field. Uh, and, you know, maybe they have another another Tzolis upside player for, you know, for them. Yeah, well, Liratsis, of course, spent last season on loan with Volos and was a big part of helping them stay up. Pretty much played in a very large proportion of the games as the starting right back as a 19-year-old. So he's definitely one to look at. And Musawage, only in on a loan and not really that impressive. Like, they're probably not thinking about him for the future, but... Pauk certainly have a lot of players that you're looking at for the future. And that's, you know, I'm excited to have Apostolos on. Maybe we can ask him about some of those guys. They've got Sigaras as well, who's been getting a really good run out for the team in Europe. He started the Ammonia game and he came on for Kutsias at halftime in this one against Granada. He's 20 years old, um, more of a defensive midfielder type. So he's another one to keep the eyes on. I too am very jealous of Pauk, I have to say the disdain on Lombros's face as I say that. But, you know, they've got some really good young players who can come in and they're making a decent impact. I mean, selfishly, I hope Olympiakos are monitoring all of these young Greek guys. Not that I, like, only care if a player's Greek and only want Greek players on the team, but, you know, it helps out for a lot of the, the rules. You know, you need this many homegrown players or whatever. And then also it's just easier to scout these guys and get them on easy bargains. Like, you find diamonds in the rough at Pauk and you can get them for pretty cheap, and they come in and they're a good player for you. So as an Olympiacos fan, I hope they're watching. You know, if I was a Pauk fan, obviously, I just hope you continue to give these guys a run. Pablo Garcia, we know he's familiar with the young players, and he's probably going to. Do you know the one person who's the most upset with the academy is Marinakis. He invested in this massive training center, state-of-the-art facilities, and our academy team has sucked. It's been getting destroyed by Pauk, and I He's literally gone down to the academy a few times and been like, you guys are so lucky you have here. We will find a whole new crop. Like, boom, you're out. But the problem is, like, as upset Marinakis may be with the academy team and what they're producing, it's just, what is the point as an academy star of Olympiacos? Like, there's been a few good examples pushing through, but, like, what is the long-term goal here? It's just difficult to imagine for those kids in our academy, like, like an Andrutos of, you know, like their kid who did everything right, went on loan, did well in the loan, 
and they're still not given a chance. So it's difficult for those kids coming up in the academy. Like, what do we have to do to play in this team? And it's certainly not like Pauk don't have their examples of, you know, Andruzos like players. I mean, you guys remember Lazaro Salabru? Is he even still with Pauk? Is he just on loan again? He was a talented player, you know, a guy with some chance, but he's not really being given the chance by Pauk right now. But yeah, I mean, if you're a young player in Pauk's academy, you look up and you're like, oh, Solis, look at him. He's killing it. What a player he is. He came up. Zigaras, Gutsias, they're handing out debuts like crazy. Olympiacos, I mean, you look and you're like, oh, wow. Shabanis got released. Oh, that's cool. Martinis got released. Yep. Andruzos on the bench. Brusai took forever to get in despite being one of the best players on the team. And I mean, I don't know what's going through these kids' heads. Maybe, maybe they're not as tied to Olympiacos. Maybe they just want to be footballers. They just want to play football somewhere. And, you know, as we talked about with Perry... When you're developing academy players, a success story doesn't necessarily mean they grow up and become a star for your club. You know, Olympiacos have a lot of guys. Liko Yanis, who's playing in Serie A now. Uh, Siopis, who's playing in the Turkish League now with Bakasetas. You know, if, if you're an academy player, you end up playing in those, in those leagues. Uh, maybe you're happy with that. So I think it depends on what's going through a lot of the players' heads, but they probably see themselves as part of the Olympiacos first team. And you look at the first team for Olympiacos and it's a bunch of 30-year-old foreigners. So let's go on to the Ike game then. Ike took another L, unfortunately, finishing at the bottom of their group. 2-0 loss to Leicester. Honestly, once again, we said the Pau Granada game was similar to their last matchup. This one was also a bit similar. They came out and they just looked like, what are you doing, Ike? Like, this is atrocious. You look not even in the same tax bracket as Leicester right now. And then, you know, maybe things got a little bit better as the game went on. Of course, the last time Ike actually scored a goal today, no such luck on there. But once again, just defensive lapses. I don't even know if it's right to call them mistakes, just lapses from the entire team to let Leicester get up 2-0 within like 15 minutes. You know, once you're up 2-0 within 15 minutes, it's like you can just coast. Um, and that was the problem with me for Ike today. Oh, it absolutely was. I, I just look poor. I mean, again, it is Leicester, and Leicester is a, a different class of team than Ike is. The that Ike defense is just, oh, I don't even I don't even know what else to say. And uh, Svarnas, I mean, you know, I defended Svarnas when we first had Greg on because in the preseason during the qualifiers, Svarnas actually was doing pretty good. the The data had him show showed that he was the best defensive piece that was available i mean you would watch the games and he he was stepping up he was doing quite well now i see exactly what he's talking about the, as the season goes on he's regressing and he just looks awkward i i don't know what it is and then i don't understand what ike's scheme is or what the strategy is for corners or defending set pieces I, I don't I don't know if they have one. At first, I thought maybe it was a zonal system, but I can't tell. And sometimes somebody goes with a man, sometimes they don't. I, I have no idea what's going on. They're, it's poor, and they lose so they could be they should be eating honestly way more goals than they are with how poor they defend these uh, corner kicks. With Svaranas, it might be the type of situation that often presents itself with young players, where the more of a run out a guy gets, it's more difficult for them to retain the level that they were at. You know, I'm I'm obviously currently afraid that Vusai will regress eventually. Uh, thankfully, it hasn't happened yet. But 
with these young players, it's it's easier for them to come in and do it for a stretch of five or six games, but to retain that over the course of an entire season becomes much more difficult. You know, you have to go through the grind of playing every day, you know, these days twice a week. Obviously, Svarnas is not on the team every day for Ike because they have a few other options at center back, but it's a lot more to ask to put up those results consistently as you get older and you get banged up and, you know, you just have to continue doing that. And obviously it's been a long season for Ike with qualifiers and coronavirus and all that stuff. So he just has to be able to recover from this little bout of poor form and, and realize it's just a step and continue to grow. He's still a pretty young player, so he's just got to continue to grow and get better. Yeah, and real quick, maybe this is harsh, but when we said... Svarnas could be in trouble against the big teams. And this is where you're going to need, going back to the national team, this is, you're going to need Manolas, you're going to need Siovas. This is exactly what you mean. You play the second team of Leicester and you just get exposed like that. When you start playing top teams, top national teams, let's see how it goes in March. I'll just leave my comment there. We'll see how he does in March. We'll see how Stafilidis do in March. I'll just say it. Just look at Lambro like two hours ago in the podcast. Like, I don't want to talk about the ethnic until March, then like brings them up at the end of the episode. Yeah. But no, you're right. You're right. The uh I just want to also point out, I mean, Harvey Barnes for Lester was making mincemeat of Ike. I mean, every time something was happening, I was just like, oh god, there's Harvey Barnes again. Just he just kind of went through everybody. And the second goal, I actually felt really bad for Vasilidopoulos because I thought I thought he actually was containing him quite well. And then when the shot ripped off, and I think it was um, Hanid that it, it it deflected off of, I actually thought he was containing him pretty well. But, I mean, Harvey Barnes was just on fire in the game today. He was all over the place. I thought he did exceptionally well for Leicester. Under was quite effective as well, the ex-Roma player. Vimo uh, knows all about him. Yeah, it, it, it was tough. I never expected Ike to win, but I really just wanted more fight. You know, when they first played Leicester, they, you know, they went down early again, but they had fight and they looked like maybe they could get something back. This just didn't look like an Ike that wanted to fight and was going to do anything about it. It was just disappointing. And to cap it all off, in three straight weeks, Greece has only gained the coefficient points of a single draw red star has gotten more coefficient points by themselves for serbia than three greek teams have for greece as a whole it's just poor it's pathetic and olibiakos has to get past the round of 32 to set greece up to really push for the coefficient next year uh and i don't think it's going to happen because this is not the olibiakos that we saw last year just kind of down in the dumps as a whole for the picture, you know, the big picture for Greece, not just for the national team, but for how it looks for the club teams going forward. Yeah. Agreed. Red star got through out of their group. They got a pretty easy Europa league group as well. So they did better than I can Pauk. Unfortunately, I was saying this off camera, but I can't wait for the UEFA conference league to become a thing. I think that'll be maybe a decent opportunity for Greece to potentially show off maybe depth as a league. Like, I know we talk about Olympiakos carrying the Greek league, but in terms of like, you know, if we're comparing ourselves to Cyprus, like the mid-table teams in Greece are better than the mid-table teams in Cyprus. Like Panathinaikos and Adis are going to like probably crush, you know, I don't know, Anorthosis or whoever. Like that might be a good opportunity for us to actually get some coefficient points, even if it's just in the, you know, the, in the conference league. 
at least that's my hope. Or we could just blow it. Or we could just blow it. I mean, <laughs> what have we seen up to it's now, so, right? Yeah, there's nothing that gives me confidence. I mean, watching Balk draw and lose to Ammonia. Yeah, that's poor. When they should be crushing them. It just, it just doesn't make me feel good, you know? Yeah. It's, I don't know what else to say about it. Yeah, well, we've got Ike in a week, Olympiacos do, and uh, we're going to have Greg Gavalas on. We're going to talk to him more about Ike's campaign. And since it is a midweek series episode, we'll discuss Pauk's campaign on a broader scale. We're going to have analytics for everything, which is why we're waiting for that one. So we'll go through all sorts of numbers and discuss, you know, what have Ike and Pauk been up to in terms of, you know, the overall picture of their teams? What sort of stuff can they work on? And um, where do we go from here? Because after this, we might potentially only have two more European games for all Greek teams for the rest of the year. The podcast is certainly going to be different and um, we'll have to see what happens because as we said, Olympiakos really just limped to a Europa League appearance and I don't really have much faith given the list of teams that we could possibly play. Anyway, thank you all very much for watching, especially if you've made it this far. We will be back on Monday. We're going to have Steve Kodudu on, our good friend, and we're going to discuss a lot of these issues and see what he has to say. Maybe a little bit of transfers. You never know what could crop up by that time. We also play Lamia on Sunday. So we'll discuss that game. Hopefully all these old geezers get a rest. Hopefully Fortunis gets a rest. And maybe we see something from the younger players. And yeah, I don't really have much else to say. So we will see you then. Lambro will be reporting live from Greece by then. So that's one thing to get excited about for him. But have a good rest of your week. And we will see you very soon.